0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of PreMed Uncultured. Hi, my name is Chuka, and I'm here with my co-host, Kate McKay. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about research, all things research, what to do, how to do it. Um, and we're excited to have you all here. Let's get after it. All right, sis, we are here. Oh, my gosh. Second episode. How you feeling?
1: I feel great. I feel like we're already making an impact.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Excited today to be able to talk about research, right? And so I feel like so often we get this question of, do pre-meds have to do research? What are What are your takes on that question before you even delve into it?
1: The short answer is yes, you do need to be doing research. It's, <laughs> it's a big part of medicine. It's a big part of science and it's how we move forward. It's the exciting part of medicine. It's why you know, we can do the same occupation in a million different ways because everyone has different approaches. And if you have an understanding of research, you have a real good understanding of medicine. So short answer, yes. Long answer, absolutely yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's epic. And so, yes. Yeah, so when looking at pre-meds, right, and why I think that it's so important that, like you said, Kate, this idea of doing research is because like medicine is ever-changing, right? And I think that medical schools want to see people who are involved in Finding a problem that they're passionate about, exploring it, and putting their putting their findings out into the world. And so, um, what are different types of research opportunities, even during your undergraduate, that you're able to engage in?
1: Well, I think that one of the easiest ones to get into is doing your coursework labs, and that kind of gets your feet wet. And you can see, obviously, that kind of lab work is not the lab work you'd be doing to get paid, or even as a volunteer job um, in a real research lab, but. If you absolutely hate that experience, there are so many different types of research that you can do. So many different ways you can get involved. It's not all pipetting and measuring things out <laughs> and doing you know these very very tedious uh, experiments. Some of it could be you know policy research or public health research. So there's many different types. And I mean personally, I have experience with wet labs and clinical research, but. You know, I I liked that stuff, so that's why I did it. If you don't like it, you don't write off research all at once, you know. Find something that you enjoy and find people that you enjoy spending time with because that's another really big part of research is your connections.
0: That's so true. That's so true. And even let, let's like even breaking it down, and you talk about this idea of wet lab research, right? I think most people, I think when we think about like research within the the scope of sciences, I think that's where most people think about. You're in the biology lab pipetting, or in my experience, I, I did an undergraduate research in organic chemistry. So if I see another NMR in my life, I might actually implode. But I think that's 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 one aspect of research. And so did you did you do Basic applied science research during undergraduate. Do you know anybody who did?
1: Um, so I did. I did all my labs, and then I was an uh, undergraduate teaching assistant in the lab. So mm. all of the work that I, you know, a little bit took for granted, the setup for the experiments, I then had to do, and that was, you know, the extent of my "quote unquote" wet lab research of doing very basic stuff. I moved on pretty quickly into. Uh, mouse works and lab works and clinical trials. So I I decided I didn't really like it that much and, you know, found a change. So, but it was very, I mean, it makes you, it makes you appreciate the other opportunities that you can have. And then when you kind of have to go back to pipetting, you're like, ah, I'm so glad I don't do this every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you even talk about this idea of clinical research. So what what has your experience been like doing clinical research? And you can even share the research you're doing even right now.
1: Uh, So I started out uh, doing diabetes research. I was a volunteer undergraduate student um, in a lab here at Pitt. Um, It was an immunology lab and... um, I really, I didn't really do that much. Uh, The experiments we were doing were at the tail end, so they were, you know, had already set up the mice, had already, you know, done um, the testing, and then at that point it was let's set up for the next experiment. So I was in charge of genotyping and mixing reagents and very basic things, and I was going in maybe five hours a week because, again, I was a volunteer, like... It's very difficult to find the motivation to show up if basically all you're saying is, "Yeah, I did these hours." Um, so after I got some experience and got my hands, you know, into research and decided that I liked it, I started applying for jobs um, in the Pittsburgh area, and I got referred to um, a PI here in Pittsburgh, uh, Dr. Eric Lagasse, and he was. I'm lucky enough to work with him at the McGowan Institute of Regenerative Medicine, and um, Basically, what we do is, it's, I mean, I am i like to joke that I'm a mouse surgeon because I actually am. We transplant um, different tissues, for example, like uh, brown adipose tissue or thymus or uh, hepatocytes into the judginal lymph node of mice in the gut. And then we basically grow new organs, which is an insane idea. It's so crazy. It's so amazing to be part of. And we're currently in clinical trials for the hepatocyte experiment that we did. So we're, you know, as we know, um, organ transplants are very complicated. It literally has to be a perfect fit for, for both the organ that's being uh, donated and for the patient that's receiving it. And most times it doesn't work. and a, And a doctor can sit on an organ and be like, nope, this isn't it. And then that organ goes to waste. But now... With the research that we've done, we're able to take that organ and spin it down into just the primary cells, which are called hepatocytes, and then transplant those into the lymph node of a a patient, which is insane. And that then not one organ goes to one person and that's it. One organ can go to hundreds of people and they can basically have their own function of their liver back that their own body has created and uh, really change their lives. So that's... And a gist of it, what we're doing at the lab, which is, it it's absolutely insane. I'm so lucky to be part of it. And I do love it 99% of the time, but there's that 1% of the time where I'm like, ah, if I have to, if I have to spin one more time, I'm going to, I can't do it. So hey, I'm glad
0: you said that because we'll, we'll get back to that, talking about what is lab culture like and things of that nature. But again, thank you so much, Kate, for that explanation, because first of all, that sounds so fun, so cool. Um, but I think that again, right, talks about like I did. I did clinical research, right? But my clinical research, y'all, it was not as cool as that, right? I think for me, it was it was cool in that it was what I was passionate about. But I, I've I've never done no surgery on no mice or anything of that nature. But like I know, last year I worked at with Vanderbilt Center for like biomedical ethics, right? And I work with their trauma team looking at trauma ethics, right? And even now, what I'm doing here at Pitt with uh, the trauma trauma and transfusion center, right, with Dr. Sperry, right? And shout out to Dr. Peds over at Vanderbilt, right? I think it was mostly data analysis right i didn't have really a lot of necessary patient interaction and things of that nature but i think that i think it's so important that we recognize that clinical research research in general is so vast right it's about finding what your niche is right and so, like i said Some people are like, hey, I love data. I want to look at data. I want to look at numbers. I want to look at saying, okay, what are these trends? Not necessarily um, doing the actual manual stuff. Some people are like, hey, what Kate does sounds epic. I want to be doing that. And I think that's the beauty of clinical research. That's the beauty of research in general, right? Even... When I was back at MTSU, right, and I, I was working in an organic chemistry lab, some people were like, sugar, that sounds miserable. And for some people, it may have been. So I knew I had friends who worked um, in a virology lab. Or I knew some people worked in a psychology lab. And I think it's so important, and as Kate and I were going to be talking about over these next couple of episodes, this idea of finding your path. It's It's not necessarily... How you get or how you get there or what you do, but it's a it's it's about sort of that journey that that navigation pathway and so just finding what you're passionate about that even takes me to like this next idea of like policy research right I think I look back honestly Kate and I'm like if I could have re- relived right redone my research experience I think that for me I was grateful I loved the people I worked with in the in the lab during undergrad I loved my PI she was great and I think all those things and even but I feel like sometimes I wish I'm like, Chuga, what would have happened if you had explored – I'm really big on you all, if you don't know about this, but like I'm really big on like health policy, right, and understanding how system structures, um, are barriers to access to health care, right? And I'm like, what would have happened if Chuga had explored that avenue, right? Because I, mean, I think that I would have been able to, to be able to get something just as much, just as meaningful out of that experience – as I did doing basic applied research, right, and, and like I said, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't regret any experience. But I just often wonder what happened if I could be able to redo that. And I think I offer that to us, to all of our listeners, as this idea of, hey, if you're doing something that you do not like, we, we Kate and I have so many friends right now who are at research labs that they just despise, right, and get out. Get out, get out, get out, right? And I think some of you are like, oh, my gosh, no. I've committed so much time. But I think that you have to ask yourself, what is your growth that you're occurring in if you're in a place that's really stagnant, right? And I think that even takes us Kate, to, like, this idea of a lab culture, right? And honesty, being transparent with your PI. Um, and I think I can speak on this in my own experience as, you know, people often ask me, like, did you enjoy organic chemistry research? Uh. It was all right. <laughs> it wasn't I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I wanna do the first of my life. Like honestly, truly, I don't know, I don't know who our listeners are, but if there are any people who are doing like PhDs, I like, can just research PhDs focus, I'm like, I respect you tremendously because I look back at my my research mentors in my lab and undergrad and these guys, I'm talking about Kate, okay, they'll get so excited. Like when I'm sitting there looking at an NMR, they're like, oh my gosh, sugar, this is so good. Oh my gosh, look at this peak in this region. I'm sitting here, I'm like, y'all, I just wanna know if I got my product or not, and can I publish, right? And I think so finding what you're passionate about, because the way I was passionate about other things, they were passionate about that. And then also, but I'll say this, that it was a culture, the people there, the way they encouraged me, the way they supported me, the way I found mentors. That's what made me so attracted to be a part of that lab. The research was cool, but the people were phenomenal. I think that that's another thing. And, and sometimes that's how you figure out what you're passionate about. Like A lot of things, like even how I've gotten involved in like a lot of the trauma surgery research I have, is because a lot of people who I've come in contact with, I'm like, they're really cool people right? And I want to be in that environment. And so I think that's something that's really worth thinking about. What is the environment of research lab? What are your takes on that, Kate?
1: Yeah, really great points. I think that you have to ask yourself, where am I going to thrive? Am I going to thrive with a PI that's going to be up my ass and just yelling at me and giving me deadlines and really pushing me? Like, do you thrive in an environment like that? Or do you thrive in a, give me what to do And I need to be able to make mistakes. I need to be able to learn. I need to be very gentle or somewhere in the middle. And PIs are very widely ranging. I've worked in a lab where, you know, they would show up at 6 a.m. and they wouldn't leave until 10 p.m. And that, for me, that environment of we need to get this done, we need to get it on paper, and we need to push this information out as soon as possible in a win-the-race type of environment, I wasn't thriving in that. Because I like the time to explore and to be curious and to ask my own questions and to really deeply understand what we're doing. I'm not there just to get a job and to get an image on a piece of paper and get my name on it. I want to know what I'm doing. And if you don't care about that, then maybe that fast-paced environment is going to be great for you. And if you do, then, you know, maybe... You- ask those types of questions. Ask, have you had a student in your lab before? What's your experience with students? Do you care? Do you, are you willing to teach me if you say I'm in an immunology lab? Are you willing to teach me the basics of immunology so I can really know what we're doing? Or why are you interested in this research? Ask them those questions. Just while they're asking you when you go into the interview, why do you want to do this? What's your experiences? And if, even if you have none, I mean, we'll talk into how to get into a research lab and what to do and, you know, the steps to do that because getting your foot in the door is one thing, but enjoying the door and the room that you're in is way more important because at the end of the day, it's about your experience. Is it, does it look great to be in a research lab? Absolutely. But if you're sitting there hands deep in frogs and you hate frogs, maybe that's not the right place for you to be in because it's going to be so hard for you to write about it to be so hard for you to talk about it and to really fake it. Imagine how compelling you could be in, an, in a room with an interviewer. If you want to do research or PA, if you want to go into med school, how how compelling it's going to be if you love what you're doing. Because you can't fake love. You can fake, oh, hey, hey. like just listen to me and Chuku. We are like, yeah, it was great, I guess. But like, I, maybe I would go back and do something different. You, you have to love what you're doing, and that doesn't mean you have to start out with what you love, but finding out what you hate or don't like is just as important, but you need to be able to change it. If you don't like something, don't stick it out because it looks good. It lo- it would look so much better to be in a place that you love for a month than be in a place that you hate for four years. So you want to talk now about, you know, how to get into a research lab?
0: Yeah, let's, let's get after it. Um, I think that the first thing is looking at... Um, when when what are you interested in right interest right and it's being it's all about this idea of emotional integrity right where are you at what do you want and, and then are you are you going to pursue after that right so for example let's say somebody's out there saying hey i'm really interested in virology right i really i really want to understand viruses So what I would encourage you to do, right, is, first of all, go on your institution's webpage, right? If you're you're in, if you're an undergrad, go on your institution's webpage, go into the biology department, then go look and see who's doing virology research, right? And then as you're looking at who's doing virology research, say, okay, hey, go look at some of their papers, right? Um, And as you're looking at their papers, saying, okay, I really like this, this is interesting, go and look at, they have a lab webpage, go look at the lab webpage, look at this idea of the structure of the lab, right? For example... Um, some 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 labs have a, a very uh, vertical power structure where you have you have undergrads and you have the master students and you have the Ph.D. students and you have the postdocs and they have a lab manager and then you have the lab PI. Right? I got a buddy who's working on a Ph.D. out in, at Notre Dame right now in organic chemistry, and he was telling me like their lab is extremely structured. Right? The PI does not talk to undergrads. the 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 undergrads they have a question, they're asking the master student or the Ph.D. student, and then if if they can't help you, then you go to the postdoc. But the PI really does not. Uh, just not really converse with undergrads, right? And if that's if you want to work in that sort of big model structure, right? Um, then go for it. Like I'm not gonna lie, they're pushing out pi- papers like left right and right, left and se- left, right and center, right? So that's great for that structure. But if that's something you feel like you feel like, hey, yeah, I cannot thrive in, then hey, that then at least you're being honest with yourself. And so then find a lab that may have a more of a horizontal power structure, right? The the lab I worked in in undergrad was it was literally there was probably four of us in that lab, right? There's two undergrads, like a master's student, and then a PhD student, and then there's my PI, right? So I, I talk to my PI almost on a daily, right? And so I love that that small um, lab feel, right? And I, I understand that I went to a smaller sort of quote-unquote research institution um, for undergrad, but if I'm like, if I'm here at Pitt or if I'm at a huge uh, state school, then that might not be there. So I think that just being honest about what, what you can thrive in, what you're flexible in, and if you're not, then Trying to step out and find another lab, right? Then, secondly, I think it comes down to understanding okay, hey, ask people if you know people in the lab, say, hey, how is this lab, Mm -hmm. right? What is the work requirement of this lab going to be, right? And so, I think that sometimes people can hop into a lab and be like, oh, yeah, I really really want, I can dedicate 20 hours a week. You really can't, but you say that to get the job, right? Mm -hmm. And then the PI is going to expect you to put 20 hours in. Or they may expect you to do 20 hours plus more, yeah. right? And so think about asking people who are in that lab, saying, hey, what is it like um, and, and how did that structure sort of work? Mm-hmm. And then um, thirdly, right, hot take. If you all, if you all have, your, have your audio, crank this up. This is something that I feel people do not say enough. And I'm, I'm him. I'm going to tell you this right now. Because you need. I think it's very important to look at what stage in the academic career is your PI in? Right, and I'm going to say it again. What stage academically wise is your PI in? Are they a, are they an assistant professor? Do they just get hired? Are they an associate professor? Right, so they just got tenured, but they're not like a full professor who's fully tenured. Right, and some of you are asking like, why does that even matter?" Let me tell you why. Because in order to get tenured for professors, there's a there's a there's a requirement of how many papers they have to publish. Right, and are going to, I'm going to talk about this in the next sort of segment here about publications. Why um, I think or publications are getting something that was important. Um, because if your PI just got hired, there's a certain amount of publication they have to have um, to be able to get tenured, right? To become an associate professor and then an associate professor has to make, have a certain amount of publications to become fully tenured. And so, and I say that to say because I had a lot of friends in undergrad who work with full tenured professors. They're not concerned about publications. because They're like, hey, I wouldn't want to do this really long, complex project that may, may take six years to finish, right? That's great for them. That might not be great for you. All right. Hot take. OK, again. So look at saying what stage is my P.I. in? I had a, I had a buddy um, who worked in a uh, in an analytical chemistry lab and his P.I. had just gotten higher. He hopped on the He hopped into the lab probably like a month after his P.I. got higher. Man was pushing P. I like, know, you know, don't, you don't push a T talking about pushing me. I'm talking about like this man was pushing publications like he got like five publications in undergrad in three years. And that's wild, right? And the thing is because he wanted to be in an environment where he could do projects, right? And and there was a, and there was a culture in which we need to finish on these things. And so, again, major takeaway. Y'all crank this up. If y'all, if y'all have only heard two things thus far, just remember, first of all, what stays your PI in, in academic-wise? Where Are they, are they tenured? What, are, what is their sort of, when's the last time they even published, right? They haven't published in seven years. <laughs> do you really want to hop in that lab? Right? If you seen that they're publishing at least three or four a year, that means, hey, there may be a probability that they're going to put me on a project where I can see things to the end and be able to get a, a tangible product. Right. Second takeaway, hot take, um, is choose projects that finish. This is, well, this, is a, this, is a, this is a piece of advice that I cannot claim as my own, but a mentor of mine told me, he said, choose projects that finish. Let me tell you something, y'all. I know a lot of people. Who did like who were doing honors thesis, right? And doing all these and doing honors calls, they had to do all these research things. They were hustling, slaving in labs, doing biology, physics, chemistry, all psychology, all different types of research, right? But they didn't have nothing to show for it, other than a thesis for four years. Because they didn't choose projects that would finish. They didn't choose projects that uh, said, Hey, I know I can do this, or they're not allowed, or they didn't even allow a PI to give them or sort of allow them to structure a project that they could get a tangible result from. And I look at those people and I'm like, I feel terrible because I'm like, when you put that on your AMCAS, you put that on whatever um, medical school application or pre-professional application you're doing, and you put down, hey, yeah, I worked in the lab for, like, 3,000 or 2,000 hours over four years. And you got nothing to show for it. That's tough, yo. But then I had other friends, right, who said, you know what? I'm going to choose a project that's going to finish, and they're able to get abstract publication, go to conferences and present. And that is what um, I, I think I'm I – I don't, I don't want to speak on behalf of admissions counselors, but I feel like I can – say that that's what most of them care about, right? Because at the end of the day, like, if you have somebody who has 3,000 hours of research, and you have somebody who has 2,000 hours of research but two publications, I ain't gonna lie, the two publications, two abstracts, two presentations are gonna seem a little bit better, so I think that you all, it's, I think that I hate to sound say this is transactional, but it is transactional. It's the same way in which your research lab is getting you to help with the project. You should be walking away with something else. You should be able to walk away saying, hey, not just that, you know, experiences don't pay, y'all. I'm going to be like, emotions don't pay bills. So you need to make sure that when you walk out, right, say that, hey, what did I get from this? Whether it be an abstract, whether it be a conference, whether it be a publication, be asking yourself those things. I think that is sort of my take on that. And then once you go into a lab, again, be honest, right? If it's something feel like it's something that you cannot be doing for a long time, tell the PI, thank you for your time. But I think I'm, I, I think that this is not the right fit for me, and I think they will respect that just as much as um, as they're gonna respect you for saying, hey, I couldn't do it, um, and it's not for me, because they'd rather you do that than waste their time, right? Because you have to recognize, especially if you are an undergraduate research, you are a heavy investment. They're not really getting their their ROI from you, right? They're getting it mostly from their master students, their PhD students, and their postdocs, because they're gonna take it takes like two years to train an undergrad, and then you get one year of like really good work, and then senior year you are you're, you're leaving. Right. And so you have to look at they're giving through. It's a big investment in you. And so be honest, be upright, uh, be, be forthright, excuse me. And then also make sure you get something for it. Takes. Yeah.
1: Um, all again, great points. I think that one overwhelming thing about being an undergrad and wanting to do research is how do I get an interview? How do I get a conversation? And I think that the answer is standing in front of you every single day when you go to your, you know, bio classes, your chem classes. I mean, you could literally just ask the question. People want people who are positive and are enthusiastic about things and who want to learn. I mean... You've seen how professors light up in their faces when someone asks a question. It's because they have so much knowledge and they want to share it. So if you – I mean, it could be a simple, basic conversation with your – let's say, for example, your general chemistry professor. And you say, hey, uh, I know that this is a big research institution. I would love to get my head into research. I would love to get my hands wet. Like – can you please, uh, like, do you have any recommendations or do you have any friends or do you have a lab that I can join or what, how would you recommend starting it? Because every school is going to be different. I know at Pitt, we're a research institution. We have probably 250 labs on campus and that's just here at Pitt. I'm, I'm not even talking about private companies that are funded, you know, very, very well. Um, and there's a benefit, like, like Chuka said, there's a benefit to having students in your lab. I mean, if you're a volunteer, even if you're getting paid like 10 bucks an hour, which is as much as I get paid right now, it's still a wonderful experience. So let's say, for example, you don't want to talk to your, your professors who have connections. Let's say you want to just cold email people. What do you say? First of all, introduce yourself. Let them know who you are. In the title, just say your last name, research opportunity, inquiry. And start it off. Dear Professor Chuka or Dear Dr. Chuka, my name is Kate McKay. I'm currently um, an undergrad student at the University of Pittsburgh. I have just finished, you know, ABC courses, my bios and my chemistries, and I'm really interested in getting into research, and I was doing, I was reading about yours, and it's really compelling to me. I have this personal story, or I have this thing that's happened to me. Your research really speaks to me. I'm very passionate about it. I'd love to join your project. Is there any way that you are taking undergraduate students or research uh, uh, volunteers I really look forward to hearing back from you. Like, talk soon. Love you. Bye. Whatever. <laughs> and you can copy and paste that. Obviously, do don't write the same thing over and over again. Because if you're, you're if you're emailing someone who's doing like bacteria research and you're emailing them about like the liver, I mean, they're probably gonna think that that's absolutely offensive. But like, do your research. Read what they're doing. Read their like what their abstracts are, and then say, Hey, I would love to join this project. And let's say, worst comes to worst, they say no, they're probably going to refer you to someone else who is, because everyone is friends in research. Everyone is constantly collaborating. And that's another huge part about getting into research opportunities, is that you will meet people who will get you places, who will be in this field forever. You want to be showing your face. You want to be making friends. You want to be showing how courageous and smart and hardworking you are to all these people, because they will remember you. I mean, it's not just your PI. It's going to be your postdoc who will eventually be a PI. It's going to be your classmates, your master's students who are eventually going to be going places. And let's say 20 years down the line, you know, you're doing research and you need a favor. Who are you going to call? You're going to call your buddy back from 20 years ago. And you're going to say, hey, long time no see. How are you doing? I need uh, a billion dollars. Can you help me out? And he's going, oh, man, Chooks, okay. I love you so much, yeah. man. Good to hear from you. Yeah, here you go. Wire transfer you a billion dollars right now. You need these experiences, and at the end of the day, you're a student. You shouldn't be worried about not being smart enough, not being good enough, not having enough experience, because that's what you're there for, especially if you're a volunteer. Like, I can't tell you how many—I think I've wasted $10,000 worth of antibodies— because I just forget what I'm doing. And that was like when I was a freshman. And I'd say like, "I'm not getting a signal what's going on." And they would be like, "Well, did you do a primary?" And I'm like, "Ah, there you go. <laughs> there it is." And then, you know, you they teach you and you learn and you move on. And if you're making the same mistake over and over again, maybe there's a conversation that needs to be had, but you shouldn't be worried about not having the experience to be in the room with these people because let's remember at one point, your professors were students. Your PI was a student. Your PI had no idea what they were doing at one point, too. I have a friend in, in the lab that I work in right now next door. She's a PhD student. She, just, she was deciding between med school and research. And she said, if I make a mistake in the lab, I just wasted maybe a day. I may waste a couple hundred dollars. I, it's it's going to be fine. You know, I can, I can fix it. If I make a mistake in medicine, it's pretty much over. You're, you're messing with someone's life. So keep that in mind when it comes to research, how there is room for error. There are rooms to make mistakes. And that's, I mean, that's a question you have to have your with your PI as well. Just be like, hey, what? what let's say hypothetically I made a mistake. How would you respond to that? And be on the same page with them. Because you don't want to be in a lab where you, you can make a million mistakes and nothing ever matters. Because then what are you doing there? You also don't want to be in a lab where, you know, you make a mistake and get fired. So... I think that just being open and honest with yourself, like Chuka and I have been saying basically this whole episode, is at the end of the day, you need to enjoy what you're doing. And you need to care about what you're doing. It's not just about... I mean, as much as publications are awesome, if you couldn't give two toots about what you're doing, what does it matter? So you need to have both. You need to have something that you really care about, that you want to work hard for, that you want to go to work for. I mean, if you care you're gonna be working that much harder. You're gonna be like, I want to get this publication out. I want to get this job. I want to be able to be here every day in the lab. The mundane, boring things that you would be doing if you hated it are then exciting. I mean, I know Chuka said that I'm, I'm doing mouse surgery. If I hated doing this surgery, I would probably, I, would, I wouldn't I would wanna work there, but I liked it. I mean, it's enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's pretty gruesome, but it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm face deep in a mouse every single day. I'm sure there's other people who are, who would hate that, but that's why I'm at the job and they're not, you know? That's why they're doing, you know, public health research with numbers, even though I'm, like, basically dyslexic. I couldn't do numbers to save my life. So, at that like, like we've been saying the whole time, care about what you're doing and it'll just take you that much further.
0: I love that, Kate. That's awesome. And I think y'all, I really hope y'all just heard that because... I think that's so true. when you find what you're passionate about, then the product will happen, right? Because you're going to be hustling in that lab. You're going to be doing things. You're going to be asking deep questions to be able to get you to that end-finished product, right? So if you are interested in organic chemistry or basic and applied science, biology, microbiology, um, evolutionary biology, anatomy, whatever it may be, Pursue those opportunities. If you're not, do not pursue those opportunities. And I think you got to you got to recognize you got to run your own race because you know there are a lot of people at prema saying, oh my gosh, I, I know this person's doing in this chemistry lab. I need to get in a chemistry lab. Trust, 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 y'all. If they're passionate about that, that's good for them. But that's not going to be good for you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in saying, hey, I really want to look at um, public health. I really want to look at um, the idea of understanding a lot of social aspects of healthcare. Find research opportunities that are that do that because that's going to give you. Um, that's going to give you the stories to talk about when they ask you, "Hey, talk about this research that you did during undergrad." Because if you're passionate, then you're going to find your purpose, mm-hmm. and I think that's so important. And then again, even to tap onto what Kate said, this idea of when you when you email that research PI, right? Um, I think I got a great piece of advice. A great piece of advice, and this is one thing that I did. Go, I would encourage you read one of their publications, read one of their papers, right. And then in that email, right, say, hey, I found it really interesting that in this paper, blah, 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 you discussed this. Because what that demonstrates is that not only did you go and look at the research, you read it, you understood it, you developed a question, which is what research is all about, finding a question and finding an answer, right? And then also, of course, if you got a CV, throw that CV in there, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's a, that's a big flex. You're like, you know what, I got smoke. All right, here yeah. you go. And so I think that's you all. Those are just some really cool tips um, about how to get involved in research, right, and recognize that research is asking questions. You should be asking your research PI, your research lab, just as many questions about them and what they're doing as they're asking you. And that is our take for today, ladies and gentlemen. We Again, we thank you for being here. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, um, topics you want us to talk about during our podcast, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at premeduncultured, or you can also follow, follow Kate McKay at...
1: KTKMCK. I'll always be posting stuff about the pod...
0: And you can also follow me at Chuka Anu on Insta. We're there. We love you all. Stay safe, stay well, and keep hustling.